Welcome to Big Rich Brock and Friends. Big Rich brings his clean comedy and storytelling to the weekly podcast that is laugh out loud and funny with a side of inspiration. Here is your host, Big Rich Brock. Hi, and welcome to Big Rich and Friends. And you've got me, Big Rich. This is Big Rich Brock with Big Rich Brock Comedy. And I'm excited that you've tuned into my podcast this week. We're going to have a great time. I am the former pastor turned comedian. Been doing stand-up for over a year now. I did three open mics and decided to turn pro. I'm telling you, I enjoy what I'm doing. I'm having a great time. Over the last year of doing stand-up, I have put together over 72 shows. Hey, paid shows, people. Come on now. And those shows have taken me all throughout the Southeast. As you can tell, it didn't take long to figure out that I'm from the South. And it won't take long to figure out that I was a pastor for most of my adult life. But this show is about comedy. It's about growing up in the 1900s. It's about being a father. It's about going through divorce, hardship, victory. Man, it's all kinds of things. But what I want to do is just take you on the journey that's been my life, and I believe it'll relate to you too, and give you a sneak peek of some of the comedy that is going on throughout the Southeast through Big Rich and Friends. There'll be some weeks that I'll have a guest with me as a friend. Other times, you're my friend, and we're doing this together. So we're going to jump right in, and let me talk to you a little bit about where I grew up. And I grew up in a small town by the name of Chickamauga, Georgia. And you might not have heard of it unless you've had U.S. history or you grew up in the in the southeast area. But Chickamauga is about 15 minutes from Chattanooga, Tennessee, about 90 minutes from Atlanta, Georgia. And Chickamauga was a great place to, to grow up, to raise a family. Uh, now, I got out of there at 21, 22 years of age, not because I didn't like it, but because my life took another path. But I enjoy being from there. My mother and father were born and raised there, lived two miles apart, and they never met until they met and fell in love, went on their first date. Uh, three months later, they decided to elope, get married as youngsters, and they were married 56-plus years. So, you know, life's good there in Chickamauga. But I laugh when I talk about it because it's a small town. When I was a kid, there was one red light, but now I think they've grown up to two or three. But back in the 1900s, when Little Richie was roaming around, Chickamauga was not only a place you could ride your bike, and one of those joints where uh, during the summertime, it would be, okay, we'll see you at dinner. And I was out on my bicycle, out with my friends, going to the pool, going to the creek, or you might call it the creek, uh, playing baseball, basketball, whatever we wanted to do, that's what you did until it was time to eat dinner or it got dark. But Chickamauga was a cool place. Now, my father was a postman. I am the son of a postman. Come on, somebody. And you might say, oh, what's that mean? Well, I'm telling you, my father started working for the post office uh, when he was 21 years old, and he retired from there, worked there 34 years. He did two routes. They only had two city routes in the town. He did one for 18 years, did another one for 15 plus. Now, that 15-year route, he walked 12.3 miles a day. 
five days a week. Man, I wouldn't even want to think about having to do that today. And I know we look at it now and you don't need the post office as much as you did back in the day. But to walk 12.3 miles every day, rain, sleet, snow, heat, whatever it was, that's hard work. And you might say, Big Rich, how do you remember that that's what he did? Because I heard it every day of my childhood. Anytime there had to be something done at the house that my dad needed help with or he wanted to pass on to me, I would say, why me? And he would say, son, I walked 12.3 miles today. What did you do? Go to school? I'd say, yeah, that's pretty much it. Or my mom would come home from the grocery store, go help your mother unload those groceries. Why do I have to do it? 12.3 miles. I tell you, though, it's funny. On Sunday morning, him and my Uncle Harold, Fuzz McGill, yeah, that was his name, and Dicey Burns, him too, they would go walk 36 holes of golf in Lafette, Georgia. Not a dang word said about 12.3 miles. It's all about perspective. But my father was a hard worker. He's one of the hardest working people that I ever met. And I am thankful for what he and my mother provided for me. And we were able to do it right there in that small town. But I'm telling you, the hustle and bustle of that little town called Chickamauga, it got to my father because, you know, he dealt with everybody every day, walking and delivering the mail. He told my mother, he said, Sue, hey, that was my mama's name. He said, Sue, we've got to get out of this big city and move out to the country. Now, when you live in Chickamauga and you're going to move out to the country, I mean, you ain't got to go far, but we moved 10 miles outside the city limit and we became P.O. Box 5, not because we didn't have mail service, but because my mother refused to write our address down on any correspondence. Because back in the 1970s and 80s, everything you did, you had to do through the mail. There wasn't internet. You couldn't pay things online. So she would have to mail our bills, our correspondence, a Christmas cards. And she said, I'm not writing our address down. It's embarrassing. She goes, I love living here, but it's embarrassing to write our address. And you're thinking, oh, big rich. What was it? It was 57 hog jowl road, Chickamauga, Georgia, 30707. Come on somebody. You might think, well, that's not too bad. Or where are you living? I remember I did a show in Chickamauga when I first started in comedy and I did that bit and a lady afterwards says, you know, you're saying it wrong. It's hog jaw, not jowl. And I said, well, I'm sorry. I always thought it was jowl. She says, no, you're wrong. It's jaw. And then it hit me. How country are you that if you're going to argue for five minutes on if it's hog jowl or hog jaw? So we did, decided to just have a beer and put it to bed. But it's fun to be from there. I enjoyed living there. My father was a great role model. My mother was a great role model, but I was an only child. I, I don't know about you. There's a few of you. When I'm doing shows, I always ask, are there any only children here? I might get one. I might get two. And most people think us only children got it made. If you're from a large family, you're thinking, man, big rich, I'd give anything to be an only child. It's not all it's cracked up to be. I have three sons myself because I didn't want to have an only child. And I also look at it and look at the dynamic they have as siblings. Yes, they had the rivalry, 
But those boys, those young men love each other deeply. They care for one another. They aggravate each other, but they're there for one another. And I miss that in life. And I remember asking my parents, hey, why didn't we have, why didn't I have a brother or a sister? And my mother would say, well, when you have the best, why have any more? (laughs) And my dad would say, hey, don't kid yourself. We were scared to death to have another one after having you. And my father also said, I promise you this, it's not from lack of trying. Uh, But being an only child was great two days out of the year, Christmas and your birthday. That's it. The rest of the time, it's not that fun. Why? Why, Big Rich? I'll tell you why. Because if anything goes wrong and there needs to be punishment given out, guess who they're coming to first? The only child. I look back and I took many whippings from my father for things that my father did. Come on. I was one time I looked at him. I said, Daddy, I promise you, Dad, I did not do that. He leaned in. He says, I know you didn't. Well, why am I getting the spanking? Because I don't want your mama to know that I did it. And I'm like, and then he used this logic. He said, you probably did something that we didn't catch, so we'll just call it even. And then, you know, he used this one, and any parent or child has said this at some time. He said, you know, son, this hurts me more than it hurts you. This hurts me more than it hurts you. But like my seven-year-old told me one time, but daddy, not in the same place, not in the same place. But I love growing up. I love being a part of my family. Being an only child, remember, birthday and Christmas was the lottery. That was the good times. And back in the 1900s, before we had Amazon Prime, before we had the big shopping malls that were open seven days a week, here's what you had back in the 1970s. You had the JCPenney catalog. You had the Sears and Roebuck catalog. And if you had a little money, you had the service merchandise catalog. Come on. My father didn't like any of them. Why? 12.3 miles. He had to haul those catalogs when they would come out to everybody's house over there in Chickamauga. But those catalogs, man, that was my lifeline. That's where I found the latest things, man. The the Dallas Cowboy pajama set with a robe or pick your favorite team or the football that I wanted, the toy section. I'd go through that catalog and I'd dog ear the pages where I'd see things I liked. Because when you're an only child, Christmas is usually pretty good. And I remember getting the super toe. You might remember that, where you smack that super toe football player on top of the head and he kicked the football. The harder you hit it, the further he'd go. But you had to watch it because if you hit it too hard, you'd break him right there at the neck. So that wasn't any good. Mattel, man, Coleco. I had an Intellivision. You can't hide money. I had an Intellivision. I started off with Pong. If you remember Pong, that was just highlight or table tennis, back and forth, a dot going across the screen. When I got that thing, my father wouldn't let me put it on our good TV because he was afraid it would ruin it. I was in there on a small 13-inch black and white television, which didn't matter because Pong only came in black and white, and I would play that. But when Intellivision came on the scene, my God, I thought this is the best thing I've ever seen in my life. You couldn't pay a child to play it in television anymore. That is beyond retro. But I would go through that catalog and I'd find those things. 
And I'm going to be honest with you, for little Richie growing up in Chickamauga in a Christian home, that JCPenney catalog is the closest thing I got to a Playboy magazine. Because we didn't have them in the house. You didn't have cable back then. There was no Cinemax. I'd go through that JCPenney catalog, and I got to the lingerie section. I was like, oh, my, what have I come across right here? And my mama say, keep moving. Don't be looking at that. My daddy would say, don't be looking at that. And I was laughing because I thought, man, today, the world we live in and what kids face, Everywhere you turn on your phone, you've got good, evil, you've got opportunity, you've got distraction. But back then, you just sent everybody outside. Man, you'd get on your Schwinn bicycle. I was a Schwinn guy. I owned a Schwinn. Remember, only child. I'm sure a few of y'all listening today were Huffy people. I like the Huffies too. Huffies were more for jumping other children. You know, you'd build a ramp. And all your buddies in the neighborhood would try to jump things. And at some point, you'd decide to get the little brothers of your friends and line them out on the grass and see how many of them you could jump. You didn't use a Schwinn for that. You used a Huffy. And then if it didn't work out well and you landed on one of them, you jumped on your Schwinn to take off because it moved a whole lot faster. It was a 10-speed. But Schwinn bicycles, Huffy bicycles, all that stuff you could buy at the Western Auto. You could get through your service merchandise catalog, JCPenney, Sears. But everything took time. If you didn't go get it, it took a long time to get those things into your hands. But growing up at that time, not only was it, you know, it was slower, and then you live on a small town or in a small town on top of that. But as I got older, here's one of the things I realized from the lack of technology that we had back in the 1900s, you know, in the 70s, come on, was every, every relationship, Everything that mattered in my life, anything good or anything bad, all started with a note. Come on. A note. I remember if I got in trouble at school, they'd write a note, pin it on your shirt, and send you out to the car line. You'd look around. If somebody had a note pinned on the shirt, you knew bad news. You weren't going to be seeing them out in the yard that night. They weren't going to be riding around on their huffy. Ain't going to happen. You'd get a note. Hey, every girl I ever liked, it started with a note. Hey, do you like me? Yes, no, or maybe so. And that's the way we communicated. Or somebody would pass a note and say, so-and-so wants to know this. Everything was through the notes because that's how we talked because we didn't have text. When I get on to my kids and my sons for texting me instead of talking to me, I go back in time and remember, well, you know, I had those notes things going, so I can't always complain about them texting me. But I remember this, man, as I got a little bit older and I was about 15, 16, 17 years old, and I started doing some things that um, I hadn't done before and weren't allowed in my home, like, you know, drinking and going out and getting a little trouble and this and that. Here's what happens when you're the son of a postman. People would write notes about my behavior and leave it in their mailbox. And my father would pick them up when he'd deliver the mail. And man, Monday night at dinner, because the Brock family sat down and had dinner together, unless there was a ball game, little league or something going on. And we did that back then. We don't get to do that as much now. But back then, man, we'd sit down. And when there's only three of you at the table, 
There ain't a whole lot to talk about. And my father would say the blessing. He said the same blessing that his father said and probably his father before him. He would pray like this. God, thank you for these bountiful blessings we're about to receive. In Christ's name, amen. Let's eat. And then he says, Sue, that's my mother's name. Look at these notes. And he would pull notes out of his pocket and lay them out there on the table. And my mom and daddy would look at those notes and he'd say, read one. And my mom was like, I don't want to read it. You go ahead and read it for him. And it would say something like this. Hey, we saw Richie out there at the ball game Friday night and he looked like he'd been drinking. And I would say, dad, that, that ain't true. That ain't true. He'd say, I got four more notes saying the same thing. Hmm. Then he had another one that said, hey, not only did we see him drinking, we think we saw him out there on the side of the bleachers behind it, and he was urinating. He didn't even wait in line to go to the bathroom. He's just right out there in front of God and everybody. And I said, oh, no, that wasn't me. He says, I got two more notes to show it. Man, those notes would get me in trouble. So being a little wiseacre, I remember asking my dad, I said, let me ask you something. Did they put a stamp on those notes? He said, no. I said, well, that's a felony right there. Because I grew up the son of a postman, and anything to do with the post office was a felony. If you read somebody else's mail, felony. If you hit a mailbox with a ball bat going 45 miles an hour, hanging out of a car, felony. Now, you didn't do that but once if you tried our house, because my father would concrete the pole. And if you didn't hit it square, you were going to pay for it the next day. And, but I said, that's a felony. And my father says, well, we'll let this one slide. But notes were something that you don't even hardly see anymore. But back then, that was the way we communicated. That's the way we went over material. And that's how old little Richie got in trouble on a time or two. So you got to watch out for those notes. I'm telling you guys, doing this podcast, we're going to talk about a lot of different things, have a lot of fun, but also with my comedy and what I've got going on, as you can tell, I'm a storyteller. Yes, I do stand up, but I love to tell a story. I love to talk about my life, talk about the things that are happening in uh, my life and, and affecting yours too. And I want to invite you to come out to one of my shows. Uh, like I said earlier, when I started doing stand up, I went to three open mics. I drove an hour each way for four minutes. And I'm like, man, I've got too much to say. And I was a pastor for 25 plus years. So I'm used to talking in front of people. And then writing material was kind of like writing sermons. I felt comfortable with that. And I'll be honest with you, the hardest thing for Big Rich about doing stand-up is the standing. Man, I'm wore out already when I get started. I am hoping and praying that sit-down comedy will get popular. If it, hey, that's what I like about the podcast. I can sit in my chair and I can do what I'm doing. But if sit-down comedy ever catches on, sign me up. But I've got some great shows that are coming up, and you can find my schedule on my website, which is bigrichbrockcomedy.com. I'd encourage you to follow me on Instagram and Facebook at, at bigrichbrockcomedy. And I've started TikTok. You know, I've got a few TikToks out there. I'm a TikToker. My goodness. My three sons says, oh, my Lord, dad's doing TikTok. And I am. I'm giving it a shot. I'm having fun with it. And I plan on doing more as we go. But 
I have grabbed a hold of this by the horns, this thing called comedy, and I'm going for it. I've wanted to do this for all my life. And then I went in the ministry and I did a lot of comedy in my sermons and my teachings. I probably did more comedy than I did preaching some days, but I love people and I love God and I, and I, laughter is a medicine and I just like to have fun with folks. And, you know, people ask me, are you a clean comic? And I said, I think so. I always tell people I do family comedy, but it depends on what kind of family raised you. You know, I, I don't swear much. I, you know, I might say one, two cuss words and, uh, a show tops. And it's from when I was a little boy. You know, I don't swear just to say, just to have something to say or just to fill a spot. And I joke around because I tell people when they meet me or they come to a show, I, they say, what's your comedy like? And I said, well, I'll give you an example. I said, my ex-wife said my comedy is kind of like the Golden Girls. I'll talk about sex for 30 minutes, but you won't know it unless you've had it before. <laughs> That's how you know. I don't do anything terrible, racy, or controversial, but I'm going to make you think back on some good times. I'm going to give you a little history lesson on what it was like to be, for some of you, to be your parents' age growing up in the 1900s. And for others, man, just to reflect and have some fun and enjoy your week. But you can find me at some shows coming up. I'm going to be at a place called Big Door Vineyards in White, Georgia, one of the most beautiful vineyards you're going to see in the southeast, tucked away right outside of Cartersville. And you can join me on Wednesday, April 26th at 6 p.m. My, my special guest that night is a national touring comic by the name of Eric Hunter. Eric was on Last Comic Standing, season eight. He's been in several movies. He did a movie with uh, Captain Kirk himself, William Shatner, and he's got a great um, comedy voice and presence. He's going to be there with me that night. You can call Big Door Vineyards, or you can reach out to me on my website or my Facebook page, and we'll get you the information, get you tickets, and you can be a part of that show. And then if you're out in the Provo, Utah area, I'm going to be making my Dry Bar Comedy debut on Friday night, May 5th, at Dry Bar Comedy in Provo, Utah. And man, I appreciate your prayers, your thoughts, your good vibes, is that is my national debut in doing comedy. Uh, I was at it a year, and I got the call. Season 12, they picked 24 comics, and they chose me. And I'm so excited to go out there and do what I do, and I hope you enjoy it. If you subscribe to Dry Bar, you'll be looking for Big Rich because I'm coming, and we'll have a good time. But if you've got friends out there or you're from there, come on out to the show. Tickets are available, and we'll have a great time. And then I got one more I'll mention. On May 12th, I'll be in Ringo, Georgia, at a coffee shop called Caffeine Addicts. We do a clean comedy show one Friday a month there, and I invite you to come and be a part of that. Well, guys, I'm Big Rich Brock. I appreciate you so much. Thanks for listening to my podcast. Have a great week, and we'll talk soon. You've been listening to another episode of Big Rich Brock and Friends. For more information and past shows, go to our website, bigrichbrockcomedy.com. Thank you for listening.